0: Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now, your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard.
1: Today, our guest, Sarah Laidler, is joining us to talk about company culture and what the benefits are of implementing a great culture. She is the designated broker and the president of Accolade Properties out of Spukane, Washington. Today, she shares about what her company has done to create an excellent company culture. Additionally, she divulges the activities that can reveal different personalities of employees and how to apply that information. Sarah shares her team-wide approach on how to create a happy atmosphere in the workplace that drives teamwork and production. Enjoy. All right. Well, we got Sarah Laidler here from Eastern Washington. She owns a property management company, does a little bit of development, owns some properties. I believe she does brokerage as well. Sarah, thank you so much for being on with us. Tell me more. What did I miss there?
2: I think you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> that from Central Washington. Central Washington is not a rainy part of Washington. So I think that's the only thing that people get confused on is they think they live in a rainy dreary climate and I live in the middle of a desert with nice clear blue sunny skies.
0: Wow. So it's you're on the other side of the mountain range. Cascades. And you uh, right. have a lot of sunny days. That's amazing.
1: Well to get started off, do you want to tell us a little bit how you got into working in real estate and investing?
2: Most definitely. So our background comes from development background. So my parents are developers. And as their portfolio grew, people started telling them that they really needed to hire a professional property manager. And so through that process, we hired three property managers and we fired three property managers and decided that we don't like property managers and never wanted to really associate with one again. And so from there, we really just began operating our own assets. And after a couple of years, looked at it through a different lens and realized, you know, I'm sure we're not the only owners who have had poor experiences with industry professionals. And since we have the perspective of an owner, we should try reaching out and actually doing a third-party management service. And so that's pretty much how everything started. And at that point, we were only, I mean, we had a handful of single-family properties, but those weren't ones that we really felt like we were operating as far as the day-to-day business wasn't taking up very much of our time. But the multifamily aspect is really where all of our focus was. And that's where we were in building a property management company without even realizing what we
0: were doing. Yeah. Interesting. So when you say we, so it's your parents started the development company. And then at what point did you get involved? And was it you and your husband helping build out the property management? Or why don't you just tell us a little bit about how your parents helped and then who was involved?
2: Definitely. Yeah. So my parents handle the development and construction side. So they have a construction company, a development company, and then working on, you know, building out the plans and actually building the assets. But my dad has never had any interest or involvement in really the management of the people or the processing side of things. And so this all was kind of coming down the line where their assets were growing and they had several larger scale properties. The smallest was 100 units in size and the largest at the time was 125 units. And we were under construction on another 250 units. And so I was just graduating from college. And ironic enough, i had actually had a job offer from a property management company which was just kind of like a fluke thing. And so I was really thinking about taking that opportunity. And my dad just said, you know, we've got the same opportunity. It just looks a little bit different. Why don't you start, you know, really working on the management side of things. And so I had started originally, as the latter part of my high school career, just cleaning apartments, and doing that type thing to make extra money, then start dabbling in the office. And then was starting to give my dad advice about like, Hey, I think you need to change this in your office or you need to do this differently. And so I already kind of had some of that experience and that exposure on the properties that he owned. And then he just, at the time since we'd fired property managers had, you know, a person sitting there managing on his behalf. And so with that, I really took on that property management side of the business and working on creating systems and policies and procedures in order to do an efficient job managing our own properties.
0: So you had a job from another company and your dad was like, no, no don't no, take no. that one. I, I I want you. <laughs>
2: that is how it happened. And it was pretty funny because I was really full of pride at the time and I did not want to work for my parents because I never mm-hmm. wanted to be the kid that just worked for her parents. And so he had to bargain pretty hard because I was really pretty committed. But when we were having those conversations, there was funny things that I said like, I don't want anyone knowing that you're my dad. So like, I'm, I'm going to call you Dave. And I don't want, you know, we were kind of setting out what those guidelines look like just with my, I guess my inexperience and my lack of confidence in who I was because I really hadn't created or built anything. But that was always something that was really important to me that I wasn't just riding on someone's coattails.
0: Yeah. So your parents were developers and investors growing up. And that, that's kind of mm-hmm. the the house that you grew up in what do you think that they taught you as you were growing up that helped you grow into an investor yourself?
2: I think the biggest thing is that probably just like fake it till you make it. And I know that's an overused statement, but I just feel like as a whole, as human beings, like if we're making good active choices in our daily lives, we get presented with so many great opportunities and I feel like a lot of people don't take the opportunities because they don't think they know how to do it. And the reality is, is that most of the time we don't know how to do the opportunities that are presented to us, but just being willing to jump in and say like, yes, I can do that and figuring it out, I feel like was probably the one of the biggest lessons that I learned. And that's really having that willingness to take it on and pretend like you got it all under control and know what you're doing and then actually figuring it out is really Probably like the capstone of what has built my parents into who they are today. And I feel like that's something that is just a core trait that has also, you know, when the opportunities have been presented, being willing to take the risk and have the confidence to figure it out as you go.
0: So, do you know how they got into investing in real estate?
2: Yeah. So, my dad was at a barbecue when he was like 21 and kind of just in the casual around the barbecue conversation said something like, Oh, like it'd be cool to build a house someday. And his dad was like, you can't just go build a house. And so that weekend he went out about a piece of land and decided to build a house.
1: Wow,
0: and
2: that's, you know, <laughs> right. It was a dare.
1: So um, what? So has what so your dad told house you
0: house. that you can't <laughs> do? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> that's funny.
0: So that is an incredible story, you know, is it was literally the reverse psychology worked. Uh, it definitely
2: was the reverse psychology work. And then it's just interesting to see like how that continued to evolve and change because he specialized in high-end custom homes and was doing that. And then through a series of economy shifts and different things, ended up moving from California up here to Washington. And right after he moved up here, he built a house for an individual and that individual ended up going bankrupt on him. And so he went from, he ended up being in debt about $400,000 and didn't have a way out of how is he going to solve the problem that this other person, their choices have put him in that position. And that problem right there is really what opened up his eyes to saying like, okay, I need something bigger. Like I can't just go build one more house and make up the $400,000 debt that this person's let me. So now I need to do something bigger. And that's when he actually went and found the piece of property to build an apartment complex. So that pain and that hurt and that, I guess, place of despair is really what opened up the opportunity to just say like, okay, like the only way out is to go big or go home. And that's what provided him the foresight to find a piece of property to build a multifamily project on to kind of help dig his way out of that pit.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, it's I, I love It's a pretty good story. That. So when you kind of got into real estate, you you came in sort of like a property manager. You're you're working for the family real estate company. And one of the reasons why we have this podcast is to, to help real estate professionals kind of what I say see the light and realize how amazing investing is. What do you think real estate professionals, property managers, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, like wh- why don't more of them invest in, you know, the deals that they see? every day and what was different for you, you know, when you started investing in in your first deal?
2: I would say probably the biggest thing is people think that they're undercapitalized just because they don't necessarily think through all the different ways that you can acquire capital in order to put the deal together, so I think just being creative in that, or people lacking creativity prevents them from taking the opportunities. And then on the flip side, I always think there's a little bit of fear involved. So as real estate professionals, we see a lot of deals that go really good, but we also see the deals that go bad. And when your name's on that dotted line, it can create some uncertainty if you think, oh, I've seen that go bad with these people. Do I really want to be the person in the hot water?
0: Yeah. So would you have any advice, I guess, in terms of... How do you make that jump? How do you make that leap? I know you mentioned faking it until you make it on those opportunities that are kind of scary. I tend to agree with that comment, but how do you do it?
2: How do you do it? I think sometimes you just have to rip the band aid off and do it. I think, you know, getting yourself in that mindset, you know, I think surrounding yourself with people who've done it before and then just good advisors in your life, too, encouraging you and helping you. See pitfalls before you fall. Another great thing, I think, too, just being open. A lot of people lack the transparency to give another person whom they respect a phone call and say, "Hey, like, let me open this up. I want you to see it." And just having the confidence, like, yeah, they're going to see the messy, ugly because I think it's easiest professionals to look at like you guys and think, "Oh, like, I'm sure all their deals are totally perfect. I bet they perform great. I bet they, you know, are getting." huge returns and all the stuff where like every deal is not like that. So I think sometimes we are too insecure to actually like share the real truth and the real details to be able to get the quality advice. So just finding someone that you can actually be honest and open with will definitely give you the opportunity to have more insight and have a more genuine relationship and get better advice as
1: you're working through, you know, building.
0: That is great advice. AJ, do you want to talk about building a team?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, want to kind of jump in and it's like, so you started working for your parents as a property manager or property management company, like kind of, how did you evolve into leading that team? And I guess my kind of my follow-up question after that is going to be like, how are you leveraging that team to invest more in real estate now?
2: Absolutely. So originally we were focused on the multifamily side of things. And so with that, our team approach was very different because each property multifamily site had its own team. So we had like a property manager, a leasing manager, property maintenance, and a maintenance tech. And we were just kind of really leading that immediate team for that particular asset. And then, you know, I was just kind of helping develop that team. And then I was like the only outside influence that they were reporting to or talking to and having interaction with. But then as our assets grew and we had additional portfolios that were multifamily, then we were really wanting to develop that where you know, team at property A and team at property B were actually talking and working together and then covering for each other if someone was sick or needing that backup. And so it went from being like, just like, okay, we're developing this one team to operate one property to saying, okay, like we are developing, you know, statewide team. Each team has its own properties. Or its own property, but we want each property to run the same. And so, really working that team approach from like developing, like what are our processes and systems in place? It doesn't matter if you're at apartment complex A or apartment complex B. And then that shifted again when we diversified into the single family, because single family operations are completely different. And so that created a whole different type of team. And so each one's been different. And then we've been trying to like you know merge what those relationships look like between each individual team and then also company-wide to develop quality, smooth-flowing process and then taking, you know, aspects of multifamily and applying them to the single-family arena so that we are capturing different income streams and ideas that come from the multifamily world and similarly doing the same thing with the single-family. Like, okay, this is something we do on single-family. It's not traditionally done in multifamily. Is there a reason for that or should we, you know, try and like cross them over. And I guess I kind of crossbreed them to try and make it the best it can be.
1: That's great. And I've heard that your company has an incredible company culture. And for someone that's kind of starting out to build a team, do you have any advice for for that type of person as they start down that journey?
2: I definitely think the best advice there is finding someone that compliments you, meaning they don't have the same strengths that you have. Building off the different personalities and the different perspectives that the different personalities bring to the table is definitely a huge thing. And then having someone on your team who's willing to question the why's, I think is so important because I think sometimes it's easy to say like, okay, I want a team that we all get together and we all work really well together and we're all, you know, moving the same direction, which yes, that's what we all want. But don't have, don't neglect the value that kind of that thorn in the side that can there's always like a thorn on the side in the on the team that's like, well, what about this? Like, I don't think we should do that because of, you know, this instead of always viewing that as a negative, I think recognizing like, okay, they see things differently. Like what items do we need to consider and, you know, place value on that. And then what are things do we need to continue to be, just be working forward towards as a team, making it smooth and quote unquote, everyone getting along.
0: Yeah. No,
1: oh, that's, that is great. And I guess kind of, can you elaborate like what you've done to create your good company culture and what you do for company culture?
2: I definitely think as far as individually, like giving individuals the power to make decisions about their role in their department and really giving them ownership of that so that when they excel, they're getting that intrinsic value of knowing like, yeah, they contributed to that, but then also when they fall, like having that accountability in place, I think is really good. And then as far as like a team wide approach, there's been a few things that we've done over the years that I feel like just made a huge difference. So probably about five years ago, we started doing a once a month half day team meeting where for that year we will focus on one particular item and then half a day every month the whole team's there working on the same item.
1: Is and it like a that problem was- that you is it like a problem that you guys are having or something or You don't
2: necessarily, so normally there's a theme for the year. So like the first year we did it, our theme was documenting processes. So we wanted all our processes documented. So on one Friday of every month, each team member would come with a process that they do that they had documented. And then as a whole team, they would present their process, talk it through, and then other team members would add their input. But like, why do you do this way? Or have you thought about that way? And by the end of the year, we had all of our processes completely docu- documented in an app that we all reference still to this day. And so that was like the theme of the year, like what we were working on together as a team to accomplish. And that was really just fascinating and a huge team building event. And then at the end of that day, we would do something fun together as a team. And so I think that's so important as well as like making sure that every time you're interacting as a team. Yeah, we want to be professionals. Yeah, we have work that we need to get done. Yeah, we want to be excellent in our service to our clients and to each other. But we also need to have fun together because we do deal with a lot of hard situations. And so providing those opportunities for us to connect, not only in like the business setting, but also in a fun atmosphere was really helpful. But something that was interesting about that is we made really good progress the first year and felt like we'd really accomplished a lot. But then we started hearing murmurings about like, okay, those meetings are like three hours long and the process that whoever's presenting it only, you know, some of it applies to me and some of it doesn't apply to me. Right. I'd hear that from different team members. And so we transitioned after that to saying like, okay, if it doesn't apply to everyone, like let's try and make it so like only the people who it applies to is present for that presentation. Right. Yeah. So we changed that, but then it was really interesting because then the feedback was you know what I sat through those meetings and I used to think that it didn't apply to me. But what I didn't realize is there were little bits and pieces and ideas that I was picking up from another segment of the company. And and then I was taking it and applying it to my segment. They were
1: figuring out how it worked and what worked well and what didn't. And then applying that over. They
2: totally were, but no one recognized that they were doing that. So it's funny because we went from having, okay, all hands on deck we're doing these processes to people thinking like, I feel like it's a waste of my time back to, <laughs> okay, we're all doing this together. But it's funny cause it's like, we will reference it during me and like, okay, we know this is going to feel like it doesn't necessarily apply to you, but don't check out because you don't ever know. And then it's funny cause then people are like, okay, I totally had like, there was nothing good there, but then I got this gold nugget and look at what I, pre- you know, look at what I've put together now all because I was, I overheard this conversation that doesn't even sound like it would apply, but it has totally changed like my personal, personal role.
1: Yeah. I mean, that sounds like, I mean, just by doing those meetings, it sounds like your company benefits a ton. I mean, not only are they improving the processes that you've tasked them with, but then they're going back and improving other things that they're doing as well.
0: Exactly. So when do you guys all go do goat yoga?
1: (laughs) Um,
2: So we've gone through different phases. Sometimes we do an activity once a month. And then as we grew and we kind of expanded because we have offices in two different cities, it became harder to get all the team members together. So we started doing things quarterly. And then we used to kind of go through phases where like, well, if everyone can't make it, then we're just going to like reschedule an event. But it just gotten into the point where as we grow, a few of the things, lessons that we've learned is like, if everyone can't make it, that's okay. We're still going to have the event and then trying to come up with fun, crazy events. So we do events both during the workday and then also sometimes at night. But I think it's, I personally think as a business owner, it's really important to create space during the business day to have some fun opportunities to do goat yoga and silly things together. Because I know for myself and i'm sure team members like we don't always want to spend friday night away from our families or away from things that we want to do in our personal life so i think it's important that we create space for fun i don't,
1: I don't know what you're talking about I, I love my brother i want to hang out with him all the time
0: <laughs> all the time all the time <laughs> so what's the most fun activity you guys have done together as a team
2: Ooh, the most fun activity where those rooms that you go in and they lock you in the room and then you have to figure out how to get out of the room
0: Escape rooms
2: escape room. That was a super fun activity. And that activity was actually super interesting from a leadership perspective because we did it. We had a really good time. We all escaped. That was all good. But then after the meeting, I was talking to my branch manager about the different personalities that came out during that because we had personalities that were like all wanting to work together to like solve this clue and then get to the next clue. And then we had some clues that someone would be like, no, no, like I want to solve this clue. Like you guys do something different. But it really highlights, I guess, like in a fun way, how everyone works under pressure. But after we did did that event, there was a newer team member that we had that every time we got to an activity, like she wanted to be the one to solve it, which was fine. But as I reflected on the afterwards, I recognized that like for her, it was more important to her that she got the recognition and that she solved it than it was that like we did it as a team. But for me, that was a really big red flag because like we are a team-based company and we're not, we all work together so much and that's so important to us. And not only that, but that was, there's other, I guess, red flags that happened throughout her course of employment for just a few months. But after that event, even though it was like a super fun event and everything, like when I was reflecting on that, I made a decision that she wasn't going to be on our team any longer because I was like, oh, I don't like I want a team player and I all of a sudden see that like you want to be a you player and that's not what I want on my team. And so I think it's important to recognize too that sometimes in those fun settings, it does enable us to see each other in a different light. And it reveals different personality traits that we might not always recognize in the workplace.
1: Nice. Well kind of digging more into like the culture like have you seen any specific benefits in the in your business because of the culture or kind of like, what yeah, what, what other benefits have you seen from having a great culture?
2: You know, I think just being a happy place to come into the office, like we spend a lot of time with each other. We spend more time with our work family than a lot of times do with our, you know, personal family. Yeah. And so just creating that happy atmosphere and then also the team approach, like knowing that we've each other's backs, I think really... Makes for an opportunity for us to have good checks and balances in place. So, actually, just this morning we were in a team meeting, we were talking about how important it is as a team that our mindset is like if we do find something that someone did wrong, that we go directly to that individual and we're not going to someone else on the team. But when we go to that individual, understanding that this is a good thing that it's been caught, because that means that like we have multiple eyes on the situation and there's a way to catch the error. And then let's, instead of just being like, okay, you dropped the ball, let's look at the process. Like where's the kink in the process so that we can fix that and not have this error again in the future. So I think just, you know, having that atmosphere of everyone working towards things together and making sure that you're continuing to identify that and reinforce that even in the day-to-day operations is really valuable.
1: Yeah, that is valuable. If you were like to give some suggestions to someone who's like making their first hire and like starting to develop like a a good culture, like what, what would you advise or kind of give us
0: suggestions to start doing?
2: I think just have lots of conversations from the get go and then back to, I don't feel like the best conversations are always had around a board table. Right. So the person like my right hand branch manager her and I, every week our meeting is an hour long walk. But like when we're out there walking, we talk about everything. So, you know, we cover all the gamuts, but I feel like a lot of times those conversations naturally ebb and flow and we're both able to better articulate and just kind of have a casual conversation about something that we see as an area of improvement or an idea that we want to implement or whatever, versus sometimes I feel like, you know, if you're just around a business table and it's so like, okay, this is a business, this is a corporate decision. This is, I don't feel like that creates an atmosphere for either party to be able to like really freely share all the value the that open. they can bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Just not, it not, doesn't create the best open atmosphere. So I definitely think like having those open conversations and then also kind of like redefining the terms of engagement throughout the whole process. So like, once a decision's made, or if there's someone who's, if that person has offended you or done something that you don't like, instead of just kind of brushing it out on the rug and pretend like it's not there, actually be like, okay, I'm feeling this way. This is how I'm interpreting this. How are you interpreting this? Okay, next time, how are we going it differently? Like, what are the terms of engagement? Like, okay, you did this, and then you went and talked to our secretary about it. Why don't you just come and talk to me so that I know that that rubbed you wrong, or, you know, or rubbed the client wrong, or whatever.
1: Yeah, it sounds think, like addri- um, addressing the issues like head on.
2: Addressing them head on, yeah, and I think also like they don't always have to be like a big deal. A lot of times, it's like, <laughs> hey, like I noticed this. Did I perceive that wrong, or is that how you is that what you picked up? I yeah. thought, you know, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, just being direct and really like if something happens, just talking about it immediately is
2: yeah. is a great
0: way to just kind of like. Stop things from blowing up. Right. Yeah. So when you're looking to add a new team member, how do you go about the process? And how do you go about deciding if somebody's right for the company? And then how do you, when you choose the right person, how do you kind of onboard them into the team?
2: Definitely. So as far as when we recognize we need to bring on a new person, obviously we have like a job description or role that we want them to fill. But then something that's a little bit unique, I think about us is that, and this is a positive and a negative, but I'm not always good about like really like we have like a job description, but once someone gets brought on, it seems like we continue to like change everyone's job description to match the personality versus always having the personality match the job description. But I feel like with that, what's been successful for us is that, each team member can really take like their ownership of their tasks and like do them well. And it's not like, well, this has never been on this person's job description before, so you're not going to do it. But sometimes it seems as we reprocess things with the personalities on the team we will change who's doing something to make it flow smoother. And I feel like that's been like enable us to continue to grow and change with more fluidity. Sounds, sounds by, really
1: dynamic and not like very, it is rigid. very dynamic. Yeah.
2: And it's one of those things that's kind of funny. So, like the smaller we were, the more effective that was. And we were really good about like constantly flowing and pivoting. Now that we're getting a little bit bigger, I feel like one of the growing pains that we have is like, I don't want to lose sight of the flexibility of saying, oh, we're pivoting and we're changing and we're like, you're going to actually do this and they're going to do that. But now there's more people involved. That's a lot more complex because it seems like it shouldn't be complex, but there ends up being more people involved in like it kind of almost as a domino effect. And so that's been a reoccurring topic of conversation. Like, okay, how do we become a little bit more formalized because in order to go the next step, when you bring more people on, you do have to be more formalized, but how do we not lose that company culture of, Hey, like yeah. this actually works really good with your personality. And I think you're going to do a better job at it than I'm doing at it right now.
0: Yeah. So when you're hiring, you'll come up with a job description, kind of like the qualities and the outcomes that you're looking for that role to achieve. But as you go through that, or at least in the past, as you go through that, you'll identify who the right person is and then figure out how they'll fit on the team. And some, sometimes that job description will change a little bit. And right. Yeah more fit the person who's coming on as opposed to being kind of pigeonholed into that role. Exactly. A hundred percent. But you're kind of revisiting that and looking at how that might need to change a little bit in the future. What, like, what is, you're mentioning that size and complexity or was driving that. Are you going to see yourself and the company change the way that you hire with that in mind
2: it's definitely starting to change the way we hire with that in mind or i I guess i want to say with the way we hire i feel like it's changing our operations more so kind of circling i'm going down a bunny trail so if you need to redirect me just redirect me (laughs) and i'm okay but back to your question about like identifying and like finding the right hire we have found that normally like the best hire comes through a relationship that we already have and so like Mm -hmm. we'll do our you know, indeed postings or whatever, but like every person that I've hired off of a platform like that has not been the best person, but every person that has been the best person has been through a relationship that we currently have. So this last year, my controller of 14 years made a transition to another company. And that was super hard because 14 year long relationship is a really long relationship And I'm thinking like, okay, like where the heck am I going to find a new controller? So I was doing Indeed and all that type of stuff. But then I started thinking about like, okay, this is always, like I always find the right person based on like a relationship. So I started going through like my Facebook friends, but I was going through my Facebook friends that like, I wouldn't really qualify as a real friend. Like they're not someone who I connect with on a regular basis, but there's someone who I've met along the way that's now like on my friend list, right? Acquaintances. And so I had acquaintances. Yes, but I had several business acquaintances on there. And so I started just private messaging them and saying, "Hey, I have this office transition happening. If you know of anyone who's looking, you know, for a job as a controller, like please send them my way." But it's crazy cuz I've replaced that role and I have a new controller in place that is like fantastic. She's a perfect fit for the role. I'm super stoked about it, but she wasn't actively looking for a job. And the person that I pinged like didn't even, she's the one that actually told me about this girl, but she had never even personally met her. She'd heard about that person through her husband. So it was like this weird connection. So I, I think too, it's important that we don't always like rely on apps and like Indeeds and things like that. Cause it's like, Oh, that's how everyone finds their people. Or I know now everyone's doing the remote virtual people as well. But I was just like, wow, that's totally cool. Like this business connection that I met at one business event, I randomly pinged her. I hadn't talked to her. I've talked to her literally twice in my whole life. Like one time at the business event and she's like a Wells Fargo banking manager. And then the second time I pinged her and she's the one that actually put me in contact with who is now our control. And I think it's a great fit.
1: Yeah. And often, oftentimes the best people are not looking right.
2: Right.
0: They already have a job.
2: (laughs) They already have a job and they're happy. They're doing a good job at their job.
0: Yep. And their boss is happy with them.
2: <laughs> yep, totally.
0: Yeah, we we like to ask just about everyone we need, you know, do you know anyone who is talented who should work at our company? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just part of the recruiting process. Um, Absolutely.
2: And then I think too, like wherever I go, I'm always looking for like good talent. And so actually the controller of 14 years she was a manager at a hotel and she just happened to be on duty and covering for like the front desk gal when my husband and I went to check in for our anniversary and she did a really good job. And so the next day my husband's like, you should get her number. Like she did good customer service. So she wasn't even in the industry and then ended up being with us for 14 years. And it was awesome. And then same thing is true on the vendor side. So we have a maintenance company as well, but my husband and I used to go to this restaurant every Friday night and we had the same waitress every Friday night. And she was, like, an awesome waitress, but she, like, never seemed happy. And I was, like, what is up with this woman? Like, I want to, like, break through and find out, like, what her story is. Like, why is she not happy? Because, like, she's a really good waitress, but, like, she needs to smile more. Like, what the heck? We started going into a relationship with her. Well, come to find out she didn't want to be a waitress. What she really wanted to do was have a cleaning company. And I'm, like, what? You want a cleaning <laughs> company? Like, guess what? I've got 900 units. Like, I you could clean all day long for me. And through that, I started having her clean, cleaning for us. And then she ended up starting her own company. And it was a great opportunity for both of us. So I think just always be on the lookout for good quality people because they might be someone who bring on in-house or it might be something where you can help them build their dream. And that also fulfills the need for your business, even though they're not working directly for you as an employee.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So there's just a ton of good stuff in there about hiring and recruiting and do you have any, like, kind of go-to methods or go-to tips or tricks when you're looking to find that right person?
2: Besides what I just shared, those are kind of my go-to tips and tricks. And then I'm definitely, during the interview process, I'm definitely more on the casual side. Just cause I feel like, if you're, have the setting as a more casual setting, it definitely opens up people to be able to talk more. and. I want to hear what they have to say during those interview pro during that interview process.
0: Awesome. So, like, I guess summing it all up, where do you think the the success of your culture and just the your work environment, I, your your company has been? I forget the award you guys get every year, but it's like what four or five years in a row where you're listed the the best property management have- company, the, the one of the best places to work in in central or, or central washington
2: yeah so what contributes to that success yes i would you know just say continually all be on the same page that we all want to keep being better so not being okay with the status quo and then really creating all of our conversations all of our processes all of our meetings around like what can we do to be better ourselves? What can we do to be better as a team? And what can we do to be better for our clients? And I think when you approach life with that mindset, it definitely just opens up your horizons for, you know, how you're evaluating what we're doing. Like, you know, we're not here just to show up for a job and get a paycheck, but, you know, we're here to truly make a difference in people's lives. And I guess just even placing that value on ourselves that like, this isn't just a, clock in clock out thing it's a team that we're on and we're all working towards just continually improving but I think I guess I'm surprised sometimes to hear about companies or different people who are like oh like I just hate my job like that's not what we want like if you hate your job like you just go for a paycheck that's got to be so unfulfilling if you're only there for a paycheck like what's the point in like getting any better or what's the point in working harder or what's the point in, you know unwrapping and then reviewing your process again, because you want to improve it. If you're yeah. yeah Great. For sure.
1: That is good advice. Making sure that the people are in the, the right seat in the right bus and they've got a smile on their face. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for cool. sure,
2: They want, they're going somewhere. We're going somewhere together.
1: Yeah. Well, should we get into our last four questions? Sure. Let's do it. Are you sure you're ready? <laughs> I don't know.
2: You tell me. All right.
1: (laughs) Well, I I know that all the questions since uh, for now have been pretty tough, but these last four are doozies. So, Uh all right, Sarah, the first of the last questions that we have for you is what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self?
2: I would say find good mentors and develop a relationship with them. It's so important to surround yourself with people who have gone before you and done a really good job, I think as a 25 year old, it can be intimidating to actually develop those relationships, but recognizing you've got value to bring to those mentors and the mentors have value to bring to you and just really working on developing those relationships because it will benefit you both professionally and personally. So find someone who's good at what you want to be good at and get to know them.
1: And don't be afraid to talk
0: to them, right? Yeah. That's great advice. Jim Rome always says you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, so right. Might as well make them awesome.
2: That's right.
0: Cool. Okay, so growing up, you know your your parents were working in real estate and developing. But what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor?
2: If I went like really far back, like growing up, we lived in a resort town, and there was this big triathlete or triathlon that was in town. For a weekend every year, and I had a legit lemonade stand that I would like plan for, and then all the triathletes would like run by and bring money, and I would like hand them their like lemonade as they're going by because athletes back then weren't as particular about I guess what they're putting their body or they're thirsty. They're running by, but it became quite a little entrepreneurial. Like my tent was set up, my funds were set up, my I had it all figured out where I could hand them their up fast and they had their little runner guy behind that would knew I was going to be there and they'd be paying me um, <laughs> and I worked with my parents are friends with the person who put on the event so when all the triathletes were checking in and like getting their numbers painted on them I was letting them know like hey once you guys get to the running route I'm going to be out there with my lemonade ready
0: to, <laughs> ready awesome. to sell you.
2: how old were you oh I don't know
1: probably like between like 8 and 12
0: Oh, that's amazing. We always joke about the lemonade stand, but this sounds like... Oh, uh, yeah. well,
1: this sounds like an operation. Like, how many gallons
2: yeah. of
0: lemonade were you going through?
2: I honestly couldn't tell you, but I, I felt like it was a big deal, but, you know, probably not. I had a couple of big five-gallon buckets that I worked on. Yeah. <laughs> had them all prepped ahead of time, iced down, ready to go.
0: That's awesome. That is incredible. That's... Uh, lemonade stand I've ever heard of yeah
1: (laughs) next question is how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey
0: well
2: when I think of formal training beyond like college like I think college is great but I guess I don't always feel like what you learn in college ends up being applied in our day-to-day professional lives as much as I guess I thought it would have been when I went into college so as far as like Professional training industry specific, I definitely feel like organizations like NARPAM have been really influential in really bringing me around people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing and um, having industry specific events and conferences and meetings set up to, I guess, allow me the insight into other people who are doing the same thing as me nationwide. And I feel like that's just been so instrumental in opening up my eyes to how other people doing it, are doing things. And then also just giving me confidence that like, oh, okay, like we run a legit operation. Like we're doing good. We are, you know, within industry guidelines. And a lot of times I feel like we're above industry guidelines, but I think just with having that culture of feeling like, okay, we always want to be better. Sometimes I, I guess I'm too hard on ourselves. Like, oh, like we need to like, we need to be better but just, you know, having that formal education around other people doing the same things as us being like, oh, like we got this under control, like we're doing a good job. So I definitely think formal education, those organizations have been the most useful to me in the day-to-day operations. And then informal, I always just think that, you know, experience is the best teacher. And so just doing life and building the business and pivoting and changing and redoing it again, each time that we do that, we pick up something that we will apply, you know, today and then also in the future. And so I don't think there's anything better than the actual experience itself. We can all sit behind a book and say, that sounds like a good idea. But until you do it, it's just different.
1: Yeah. Until you put it in practice and you you get those reps in and you actually, you actually do what needs to be done. That's, that's good advice.
2: Great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, getting out there and doing it. There's just no better teacher.
2: There's no better teacher. I don't know. I'm a big fan of that. If I had to choose between you can only do formal education or you can only do informal and actually try it out, informal all day long because that's when you'll actually get it figured out and be able to make progress versus just learning what the book says.
0: But then you'd put all of those – people who make their living off of being a coach or a teacher out of business.
2: I know, but those coaches a lot of times have never actually built their own business, but they want to tell me how to do it. I, it's confusing to me, I don't understand it.
0: <laughs> but if you sign up for their plan only 99999 9, 9, 9, 9, 9 for month, they'll make sure that you know exactly how to do it.
2: Exactly how to do something they've never done. I, <laughs> I'm not convinced, I'm not signing up for the subscription.
0: All right, and our final question. So, in your investing career, what is the the one deal or the one opportunity that got away—the Moby Dick of your real estate career?
2: The Moby Dick of my real estate career is a house on Peakview Avenue, and I was driving down the street, and I see this house for sale by owner. And I've been looking for a house similar to that for a client. So I called my client and I said, Rick, I just found you the perfect house. This is awesome. Like, let's make an offer on it. We got to make this thing happen. So we make an offer on it. We make the thing happen. And after he gets all under contract, I look at it and I'm like, what did I just do? Like, he's getting such a screaming deal that for sale <laughs> by owner person does not realize and I got so excited that I found what I've been looking for for my client that I didn't sign myself up for the deal.
0: I <laughs> <And laughs> didn't realize
1: then, that it was for you.
2: <laughs> I didn't. It was so stupid. And so then we get like to like a few weeks out from closing, and my client is like, "Sarah, I just don't have a good feeling about it. Like, I think I'm going to back out. What do you think?" And I was like, "Rick." honestly, what do I think? If you back out, I'm taking the deal (laughs) because I am so ticked off that I did not sell, like I didn't buy it. And, but now like, I can't not tell you that, but that's, that's the truth. Like if you aren't feeling good about it, then great. There's something in your gut, like don't do it, but I'm just telling you I'm doing it. So I don't want to tell you like, yeah, back out. And then you find out that I bought it and you feel like I'm being unethical, but like, I never should have called you with this deal. I should have done this deal. (laughs) And so it's funny because I managed the house for him now, and he's only owned it for like, I don't know, two and a half years, and it's over doubled in value. And every time I work on it, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I told him, I'm like, if you ever go to sell this house, you better sell it to me, and you better give me a big discount.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very nice price.
2: (laughs) Very nice price. But it is really funny because I'm like, how? Like, that's the stupidest mistake ever. But I got really excited about finding him what he needed.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah, you're really good at like making your clients happy. That's a knack.
2: I made them, I made them happy, but definitely did not make me happy during. After I realized how dumb that was.
1: That's a good one. Of it got away. So yeah. it
2: got away, <laughs> and I'm the one that
1: released and you're it. Still managing it. <laughs> I'm still that's managing. Hasn't completely subject. gone away, but almost. that's true. Well, Sarah, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights with us. It's been a been a good show. Really, you know, appreciate your willingness to share with everyone. So
2: Yeah, well, thank you guys so much. I'm excited to keep learning from you guys and think you guys are doing awesome things. So we continue to set the pace in our industry.
0: Well, thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Just really enjoyed having you on the show and looking forward to our next mastermind meeting.
2: Okay. I'll be there looking forward to it.
0: Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.